Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Steph I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. We have quite the the lineup today. I mean. uh, <laughs> I enjoyed myself thoroughly, even though uh, these two movies are outside of my wheelhouse. I did want to ask as my question before we get in, because we are going to be talking about Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. And for You've Got Mail, it just it brought back a lot of memories for me of a very specific time in technology. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering, did you ever do like the AOL, MSN, like flirting, dating thing? Do you have any uh, embarrassing usernames you're willing to share? So I did not do, because during that time, I lived so far in the mountains, we had no internet. So it wasn't something uh, I was accessible to. The only times mm-hmm. I could use anything like AOL or any of the screen chats or AIM or whatever was if it, I was at a friend's house or school. Mm-hmm. So why would I have my own account? I did have one and I can't remember it. It wasn't significant. I do remember uh, chatting with people on a Christian site. Oh. Um, I do remember doing that. It's been so long, y'all. It's been like, 20-something years. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> only 26, 27 years. Uh, but doing all of that, I don't remember having my my AOL name being really unusual. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I remember I wanted it to be gender neutral. That was always something that I was made sure that was a thing. Mm-hmm. But I do remember the uh, F... As whatever, all of the initials of being a female, the the single, all of these right. things, and I was, and I remember like having to learn that. Man, obviously, I've forgotten it because I, I don't know what it is anymore. I just know the <laughs> F part, which is female. Uh, but uh-huh. I did have a username for things like my blog post, which used to yeah. be the Zanga site, which you've never heard of. Apparently, no. Nope. Talked about this, uh, and I was talking. I was like, this is before WordPress, and it was a little more friendly, so you can. Uh, to make it private and you all share and look at each other's stuff. But I'm pretty sure mine's still out there. And my username for that, because I am not that creative, are just letters put together from my full name. That's it. And it's not a real word. I've used it for uh, my dating site as well because I wanted to be as neutral. Like you couldn't tell really anything about me from that name. Right. Oh, that's fitting for mm-hmm. uh, for You've Got Mail, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so I also grew up in a really, like, the internet was terrible, and it's still terrible, and, like, if you go to Delonica and mention that internet com- company, everyone will moan, because they know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but when I was, I think, um, a junior in high school, before I was a junior, there was only one computer with the internet, it was the dial-up, and it, we all had only 30 minutes, because we only had the one computer, and it literally would take so long to load my email, I would go take a shower mm-hmm. and come back, mm-hmm. and it might still be loading. I would print out fan fiction at the time, because I didn't have time to sit at the computer and read it. It would take too long. So I would just print out the fan fiction, and then I would hole punch it and tie it together, and it was a whole thing. Um, but when I was a junior... The internet got a bit better, and I saved up and bought this huge desktop for my room. And I did do, I did MSN more than AOL. And my username was Neo's Angel. Oh. Because I had such a crush on Neo from the Matrix. Yep, that's about right. Oh, yeah. I, I used a, uh, Yahoo over a, oh. AOL eventually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, 
And I didn't, I didn't, there was some really low-key flirting because as, as listeners know, I'm not into romance and I'm really bad at it. Um, but one of my favorite examples is, you know, you would read the messages like, are they online? Are they away? Why are they oh, taking yeah. so long? The oh, time yeah. you're waiting. There was this dude in high school who we were really, really good friends and we would see movies together a lot and we saw The Ring together, which I adore that movie and it scared me so badly. And we all thought we were going to die in a week, you know. We watched this movie, our lives are over. And he sent me this like really long, sad message and he was like, if I die, please keep my cat. You're the only one I trust with my cat. I also have a ring that I would like you to have. And it was this like, Oh really? my goodness. Oh, I feel like he didn't know your history with animals if he really trusted you with his cat. So, yeah. oh, no, well, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Well, even at the time, I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have a blanket over my TV and it's unplugged. But, you know, you got to play it cool. You got to right. play it cool. <laughs> you got to be, you know, you got to keep it together. Yes, yeah. Keep you don't want cool. this person that you're potentially flirting with to know that you're struggling with the same fear. Of course. What of you right. got to be the strong one. Exactly. Um, so yes, that that does really relate to You've Got Mail. And we are talking about Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. They're holiday movies in that they, they take place, you know, at least in part around the holidays. Um, so we thought that would be fun. And we were trying to do something a little bit off the beaten path. Right. But known. Oh, yes. Known, yeah. but not like, doesn't come up on holiday movie right. list too much. Uh, I'd never seen Sleepless in Seattle, or if I had, I don't recall it at all. It's possible that I did, but I loved You've Got Mail as a kid. I have no idea why. It was definitely not my thing. I can't think of any other rom-com that I liked back then. I think it might be because I was really into the animated movie Anastasia. Mm. (laughs) And Meg Ryan was the voice of Anastasia. But then I don't know why I didn't watch any of the other rom-coms. Right. Um, Because there's definitely, like, there's a huge debate about what's the better movie for sure. Like, I've definitely looked at articles that talk about people debating online about what is better and what isn't. And Sleepless in Seattle has a lot more acclaim, obviously, than You've Got Mail because at that time frame, it was newer. uh, And this concept was newer. And and Nora Ephron, although she'd been around, who was the uh, director and uh, co-writer for both movies, kind of hadn't been seen yet. So by the time You've Got Mail came out, they kind of expected it. And we've already known the back and forth with the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan movie, even though they didn't spend much time together filming Sleepless in Seattle, they still did a wonderful job showing that spark. So You've Got <laughs> Mail seems like to be like the follow-up to see them together on screen more. Right. But yeah, there's a huge debate. There is. There is. Um, and you had seen both of these coming into this, right? Yes, yes. I will okay. say I forgot both of them pretty well. I think I, I remembered You've Got Mail a little more recently because it is newer-ish. Right. Because uh, Sleepless in Seattle is 93, and you've mm-hmm. got Mel is what, a 98, which is not that big of a difference. But when you look at the fashion and music, it seems like a big oh. jump. <laughs> oh, it absolutely. I thought I thought Sleepless in Seattle was much older, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I loved You've Got Mail as a kid, I was telling Samantha, the only part I could really remember was that she was really sick at one point, and Tom Hanks showed up. Um, that was all I could really recall. And so before I rewatched it, 
I got I I was so excited as Samantha knows I wanted to see the technology in right. it. I wanted to know about like this early example of online dating. I forgot Dave Chappelle was in it and Parker Posey was in it. And uh, as my text messages to Samantha affirmed that night, I, I got a real kick out of it. It was fun. Oh, the intro alone, when I saw it, because oh. I watched it a little before you <laughs> again, yes. and I was like, oh, you're going to love it. It's almost like the 90s sim version of yes. the movie. Uh, but before we go into that, we're going to yeah. talk about Sleepless in Seattle first, because yes, it did come first. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... Again, it makes sense that we would talk about the two together, although we are missing, like, if we talk about these types of movies when Harry met Sally and all of that, but we, you know, that's not so much of a holiday sensation as these two, to me, maybe it's in our generation. (laughs) I did watch Harry met Sally for the first time after this because I was like, I guess I'll finish it out. And it's more of a New Year's movie. There's some Christmas in it, but... Right. More New Year's. Yeah, so... (laughs) Just saying. Um, but also the rundown of emotions. And honestly, some of the, if you are watching it, you start thinking, if this was a role reversal, gender role reversal, this would be really creepy and maybe a bit concerning. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing. I think watching it for the first time as an adult who's been on like a feminist podcast for a while, I was like, huh. <laughs> right. Right. I think that's the other part is like, we've talked about movies like this that could be problematic as what we see in romance. And and as in fact, we kind of talked about this movie on another, not in an episode, but we're talking about how we were going to be talking about this movie. Mm-hmm. And our friend uh, Melody, which you've heard on the show before, actually said something along the lines of, you know, I really think the difference between stalking and romantic is the, the depth, how you like that person or how attractive yeah. that person is. And I'm like, you are absolutely correct. Like mm-hmm. the, the way you look at the point of view of it is really like, huh, aw, or huh. Ugh. <laughs> <Right>. But <Yeah. laughs> going on, this 1993 classic was co-written again and directed by Nora Ephron, whose own life could be viewed as an up and down romance as she's experienced a lot of success and failure in her relationships. The movie was considered as a dramedy, a mixture of some drama and comedy, um, and the movie was a big hit, scoring all kinds of acclaim and nominations, including Oscars. So they definitely love this movie. Um, And not to anyone's surprise, it's still celebrated. So the 25th anniversary of that movie came out in 2018. There was, of course, plenty of articles and conversations and still debates about (laughs) this movie. Um, And and fun fact, she actually flew a door across the country to have the actors both use that same door as kind of a metaphor about them coming into their new love and adventure. Yeah, she has a lot of little touches like that in these things. She really does. Yeah. Um, Okay, so the plot. We are first introduced to architect Sam Baldwin, played by Tom Hanks. um, And you may remember him from our episode on A League of Their Own. Like, you know, small-time actor. uh, Hit movies like Splash and Turner and Hooch. You know, Joe and the Volcano with Meg Ryan. Look, Turner and Hooch was one of my favorites growing up. (laughs) I've never seen it, but I remember the cover quite clearly. So good. (laughs) Um, and and Samson Jonah, played by Ross Malinger, or Malinger, perhaps, um, who has just lost his wife to cancer. Uh, Sam has, obviously, not Jonah. Um, with the crushing heartbreak and constant goodwill from coworkers and friends and family, um, Sam decides he needs a change, where he isn't constantly reminded of the loss of his wife and moves he and his son from Chicago to Seattle. There, he and Jonah try to move on with their lives, but we find after a year and a half, Sam is still in mourning, and Jonah is worried about him. 
And Jonah's solution, obviously, is to call the radio love doctor. I, don't, I mean, clearly. Why, obviously. Uh, yep. And so he calls into a national radio broadcast hosted by clinical psychologist Dr. Marsha Fieldstone <laughs> to get advice and ends up getting Sam to have a session on live radio, which just gets all of this attention from thousands of women across the country. Um, you know, here is this man who not only has a wonderful son who calls because he wants his dad to uh, find a new wife to be with someone, um, but this man also professes publicly about his deep and endless love for his deceased wife. When he is asked by Dr. Fieldstone what made him fall in love, he says, it was a million tiny little things that when you added them all up, they meant we were supposed to be together and I knew it. I knew it the first time I touched her. It was like coming home only to no home I'd ever known. I was just taking her hand to help her out of a car and I knew it. It was like magic. Magic. And cut to... Yes, we see, as if it was scripted, surprise, surprise, our lovable leading lady, Annie, played by the ever-adorable queen of 90s rom-com, Meg Ryan. She obviously succinctly says magic, as he says it as well. And she has been listening intently to the whole exchange while driving in Baltimore. And by the way, at this point, we have met Annie and her fiancé, Walter, played by Bill Pullman, who was also in my other favorite movie, holiday movie, While You Were Sleeping. Uh, <laughs> and they had just been with her family. They'd made their huge announcement that they were engaged. And it was also his first time meeting her entire family. Among them, by the way, is David Hyde Pierce from Frasier. So right. that's always a little treat. Um, mm-hmm. And talk about pressure. But they yeah. survive, they leave, and she hears this broadcast. Annie is a journalist with the Baltimore Sun. And at her workplace, we get to meet her boss and BFF Becky, played by Rosie O'Donnell. And they cannot stop talking about the overwhelming attention the radio show and Sleepless in Seattle, which the host... Dr. Philstone titles Sam as he talks about not being able to sleep uh, because of all of this uh, while they were on the phone. And mm-hmm. thousands of women begin to try to find him and start sending him letters to try to, I say, apply, I guess, uh, yeah. to be his wife and a mother to Jonah. Yeah. (laughs) Feels pretty weird when you read it out. Um, Of course, Annie decides to write um, with a bit of an assist from her favorite movie. And that is one thing I noticed in all these Nora Ephron movies that I I did watch in one night, uh, that clearly she was influenced by romantic movies in her life and romantic books, and they play a big role in a lot of the things she does. Um, and also Rosie O'Donnell, uh, because she is drawn to Sleepless in Seattle. And when confronted a, about how she didn't know him, um, she says, well, she just knows he's a good guy. All the while, Walter is there, you know, just hanging. That's also a theme I picked up on in <laughs> her <is>. movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, like he finds her in the closet on a phone, like, and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and she has the radio listening to the latest yeah. exchange. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And we get to see the back and forth internal battle of whether Annie is acting irrationally or if this is destiny. Which is a theme, of course. Uh, So cut back to Seattle where Sam is confronted with the many of admirers due to his very public conversation about love. We also get to see his entourage, which is made up of Rob Reiner, Victor Garber, and his real wife, wife. Rita Wilson. Um, Mm -hmm. After walking in and meeting Jonah's new friend, Jessica, played by a very young Gabby Hoffman, who was very cute, uh, who, by the way, they're very cozy in their chair. Uh, Sam decides, hmm, maybe he needs to give this a world, this little couple thing, dating world, (laughs) and agrees to go on a date with a woman from a mutual friend, whose name, the woman, that is, Victoria. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and we find out that Jonah does not like Victoria, claiming she laughs like a hyena, and he has a better candidate. Uh, spoiler alert, it's Annie. Um, and, you know, I was really annoyed by this whole thing because I was like, kid, you wanted him to find a new lady. But I totally get it. You're a kid, and you got your own thoughts about this thing. But <laughs> I was annoyed. <laughs> um and uh, who not only likes uh, the same baseball player as he does, Annie, but wants to meet them on Valentine's Day at the top of the Empire State Building. Yes, influenced by the classic movie, An Affair to Remember, starring Deborah Kerr and Cary Grant. Um, Jonah is so concerned, once again, he calls Dr. Fieldstone, this time hanging up before his dad can find out, and screams, uh, screams to get Sam to stop getting too close to Victoria, basically, to bring him inside. And wasn't it like a spider? He was yeah, like, oh, he said, there's a spider. spider. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever, it kills the mood, I guess. What a, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, and with this revelation, because Annie, this is the scene where Annie is in the closet listening to the exchange on the radio. So she mm-hmm. gets con- a little bit concerned. Annie knows her only other step is to investigate further, obviously. <laughs> Yeah. So she sends a private investigator to take pictures of Sam and his date. And I will say, I think even when the first time I saw this movie, I was like, what? Yeah, and like that old-timey like, search engine she was using, <laughs> I was like, hmm, <laughs> this is pretty creepy. I like I mean, how she was automatically like, oh, it must be the architect. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I found him. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a whole level. Um, and he goes, the investigator goes and takes pictures of Sam and his date, who was Victoria at this point. So she gets all of these pictures, knows what he looks like. Man, I mean, I guess to be fair, I do the same thing on the internet when I need to like yeah. find newly dates or whatever. When I was online dating, I would try to f- Google the hell out of them to sure. make sure they weren't like super creepy or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but this seems like a whole new level. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, this all leads her to fly from Baltimore to Seattle to do what she says is a full story on him and investigate uh, him yeah. for their newspaper. Okay. Here mm-hmm. we have a bunch of meat cubes. Remember what that is, Annie, right? Uh, yeah, I got um, it. One, Annie happens to arrive at the same time at the same departure arrivals terminal as when Sam and Jonah drop off Victoria for her business trip, and Sam is shook. And he can't take his eyes off her, but alas, he loses her in the crowds of the many people, and he must move on. He must. Uh, cut to her finding his address and going to his home. As she gets ready to approach him, she sees a dark-haired woman being greeted with hugs and happiness, um, which she assumes is the woman Sam is now dating. As she tries to leave, she nearly gets hit by a truck, which gets the attention of Sam from across the way uh, with nothing more than a hello and hi. And by by the the way... way, Yeah, sorry. (laughs) And by the way, I really can't figure out how they even hurt each other. Yeah. Since they were so far away and apparently on a fairly busy road, I remember like even being young watching this going, that's not possible. They must have just sensed it, you know? Is that what it is? It is that that meet you part. It's the meet you part. It has to happen. Okay, keep going. Yes. Um, And so after this, Annie hops on a plane and returns home. Do you feel like you're talking about yourself since we're saying Annie? I, you know what I keep thinking is I'm technically like sleepless in Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> True, you really are. Let's get you on a radio show. Well, yes. you're on a podcast, so sorry. I know. I, we, we said it needs to be updated for the podcast world. This is exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Later, as it seems like they may not get their happy ending, Jonah and Jessica, by the way, remember Gabby, uh, plot to fly Jonah to meet up with Annie at the Empire State Building. And by the way, he does respond to Annie's original letter. And when she reads it out loud, it's obvious that it's a kid. 
Right. Uh, so she kind of just throws, pushes it aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he goes uh, to the Empire State Building after Sam refuses and plans a romantic getaway with Victoria. Uh, yeah. All the while, Annie tries to come to terms with staying with Walter, uh, who is seen as a frail man because he has allergies. So I know. I, okay. That was weird to me, too. Like, <laughs> there's a part of me that gets it, but there's a par- another part of me like, that's really, that's not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> it really isn't. You're like, he's a good guy. So he's yeah. allergic to things. Yeah, you can't control that. (laughs) (laughs) But, so she and Walter meet for dinner in New York for Valentine's Day. And in in this time, she decides to tell Walter all about her adventures um, and tells him about Sam in Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. At this time, she turns to see the Empire State Building light up with a heart. Which, isn't that always a thing? I thought that was always a thing. Like, not necessarily. It's Valentine's Day. Why is that a sign? But okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Walter tells her that he doesn't want to be with her if she's just settling. And all very nicely, by the way, for someone who just gave her his grandmother's like ring. I'm and like, he also just bought a bottle of Dom Perignon. Right. Uh, Which like, he, hmm. dad jokes. I love that. <laughs> yes, he does. He does. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but, you know, when the nicest of ways, he encourages her to go. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, damn, that's the best way to end a relationship, I guess. Yeah, yeah. At this point, uh, Jonah has been at the Empire State Building all day trying to find Annie, and uh, Sam has arrived to come to take him back home, but as luck would have it, um, he leaves behind his backpack, which Annie finds as she thinks she has missed them because she's like the last person up. They allow her to go up for this like love that she might encounter. Um, so up come Jonah and Sam up the elevator, and she's holding his backpack, and they walk away. Happily ever after, we assume. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. Again, that to me feels very weird, but... um, So much weird. Yeah, yeah. Like, you heard me on the radio talking about my dead wife and then wrote a letter to me and how here we are. But okay. (laughs) I guess the follow-up question to that would be, did she tell him the lengths that she went to get to him? That's true. You know, this is kind of an interesting uh, role reversal now that I think about it of what happens in You've Got Mail. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She's the one that's steering this plot. Yeah, and, and I, I would assume she comes clean with them, but like in You've Got Mail, that takes place throughout the whole thing almost mm-hmm. until the mm-hmm. end where he comes clean. Um, well, and speaking of, let's let's talk about You've Got Mail. But first... Let's pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, yes, let's <laughs> talk about the 1998 rom-com You've Got Mail, which also stars Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks and is also directed by Nora Ephron, who co-wrote it with Delia Ephron. Um, the plot is based on a Hungarian playwright, Miklos Laszlo's uh, 1937 play Parfumerie. Uh, this play was also adapted into two other movies, 1940's Shop Around the Corner and 1949's In the Good Old Summertime. I love that movie. <laughs> which I have not seen. 
either of those, but yeah, you 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 know about this stuff. Yeah, I um, love both of those movies, but in the good old summertime, I loved it because it's Judy Garland. And I yeah. had this huge, huge crush on Van Johnson. I, I don't know who plays the leading man. I don't know why. He was just, <laughs> I was like, I love this man. I've seen him in several movies. And it's also, I believe, the last movie she did with her husband at that time. Uh, mm. in a musical, as well as Liza Minnelli is in it at the very end. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. There you go. Some okay. fun facts. Some fun facts. <laughs> uh, and You've Got Mail was generally well-received when it came out, but definitely not as much as Sleepless in Seattle. Very basically, it follows the romance between two unsuspecting business rivals. One is Meg Ryan's character, Kathleen Kennedy, who is the owner of an independent bookshop called Shop Around the Corner, um, a shop she inherited from her mother and intends to give to her daughter one day. She doesn't have a daughter, but she intends to have a daughter and give it to her one day. Uh, the other character is Tom Hanks's character, Joe Fox, who runs the huge bookstore chain, Fox Books. So, uh-oh, we've already got, we've got a dilemma here. There's the attention right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Kathleen is dating this sort of old-fashioned, left-leaning newspaper writer who... Still uses a typewriter, as in fact, he has a many a collection of typewriters. And by the way, it's Greg Kinnear. Just like Tom Hanks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg Kinnear plays him. Yeah. But doesn't was, Tom Hanks have like a collection of typewriters? Yes, he does. Uh, you know what? And I love typewriters. When I, I, I don't have one, but I saw one that was such a beautiful one. I really wanted to buy it, but it was before I could pay for extra things like that because they're expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he has a whole collection because he doesn't like technology. Retro. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Kathleen loves her laptop and AOL, which, by the way, you open, I think the scene not only opens with the yeah. ee, that oh, yeah. sound, which uh-huh. is, you know exactly where you are. And yeah. her username is, of course, Shopgirl. Uh, in an over-30s chat room, which, yes, like I said, I was in, I, in my chat room was like a Christian young-themed yeah. chat room, uh, she meets NY152, a.k.a. Joe Fox. Uh, Through voiceover, we learn her boundaries when it comes to this online space. Pretty much no specifics, including, and importantly, names and job, which makes sense. Uh, Which I sometimes, I have very strict rules as well when it comes to online dating. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole thing, including the fact that because of how quickly things progress in online dating, Mm -hmm. um, I will not tell people like my friends, his real name, we give them a nickname until they're official. Like they don't oh, actually God. get a, a real name until they're official. Yeah. So kind of along those <laughs> lines. But as the viewer, we see them passing each other in real life, unbeknownst to the characters. Uh, they officially meet at Kathleen's bookstore where Joe doesn't share his last name after she shares her concerns about the recent opening of a Fox Books near her shop. I mean... He's going to put out her business. He knows this. She knows yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> but he can't stay secret for long, and they run into each other at a party for publishers in New York, and Kathleen learns who Joe is. Of course, then they start arguing, because you have to have that tension. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so Shop Girl is, like, real upset by this. Right. <laughs> Shop Girl slash Meg Ryan. So she seeks out the advice of NY152, uh, A.K.A. Joe Fox, and they decide to meet IRL. Which, by another thing, I couldn't really figure out is they're both like seriously dating people, right? In real life, once again. And, and I'm like, are they? Were they dating, or was I mean, like, I guess flirting, or was this just sort of a online friendship? Uh, I don't know. It felt very flirty to me. But okay, uh, Joe realizes who Kathleen is because uh, she had arrived first. And she's waiting inside the place they were supposed to meet. Um, 
Uh, so he he comes in and he takes the open seat. They argue some more uh, without him revealing his online persona. Uh, later, online as NY152, he apologizes to Shop Girl, um, giving his word that one day he will explain everything. Right. But you know, I did you get the references for The Godfather and all of this? No, absolutely You didn't? No. no. Okay. Because the first one it was does come up a lot, yeah. Yeah, so because uh, <laughs> I, I was I made sure you knew, like taking it to the mattresses. We watched yeah, the first one; it was long, did. and we were kind of tired. And it was late at night, but he references throughout the movie about going to the mattresses. You know, yep. leave leave the gun, take the cannoli. That was all in the first movie, by yeah. the way. Um, yeah. And so it becomes a big thing. And, he, and I, lo- I do love that he is giving advice to her on how to be mean to himself. Like, essentially, yeah. it was the whole <laughs> advice because she's so sweet, which I think I've been there so many times where I'm like, man, why couldn't I give a good comeback? Yeah. Which was her problem. Yeah. Yeah, and he, I mean, it's funny throughout, he's kind of like, I'm a jerk and I don't know what's wrong with me. And he's helping her become a jerk and like, she doesn't like it. Right. <laughs> like, she thinks she wants to be one, but then when right. she does it, she's like, oh. <laughs> And it's such a classic Tom Hanks move when he uh, and Dave Chappelle are looking in the window yeah. to see her. And Dave's mm-hmm. like, oh, she's hot. And he freaks out going, I knew it. I, you yeah. know, like he's like shaking the fence. Mm-hmm. Such classic Tom Hanks. And then and then he's like, well, it's Kathleen Kennedy. And he's like, oh. <laughs> uh, right. And he leaves thinking that he was just going to leave her and leave her heartbroken. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Um, Over time, Kathleen's shop goes out of business. She ends her relationship with Greg Kinnear. Uh, she decides she wants to write children's books. And Joe realizes, surprise, surprise, he has feelings for her and pursues a relationship with her IRL. Uh, they start hanging out a lot and they become friends. Technically, Greg Kinnear, Frank, breaks up with her. Yeah, it was kind of a, that was also a mutual, like, we're, we're, we're we're perfect for each other on paper, but it's just not working. Right, because he's like, I'm being mean to you and arguing with you this whole time because I'm I'm being the unfaithful one. It's kind of what he mm-hmm. says. And he's like, and her finishing his sentence of him saying, I, I don't love you. So right. again, mm-hmm. a really good ending. And they were able to be yeah. friends. Uh, <laughs> I have a feeling, again, because a, a couple of Efron's relationships were such disasters, that's what she yeah. would have loved to see. <laughs> yeah. And that's what she wanted to see, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so NY152, Fox, arranges uh, a meetup with Shop Girl, who agrees to, but then Joe reveals his feelings for her, trying to, you know, of course. Right, like test. Make a little bit gonna, of, a, yeah, like like yeah. a little bit of complications there. Um, and she goes, and ho- I'm thinking he was trying to rescue himself. If she felt the way and that didn't meet up with him, he wouldn't have to reveal any of this, right? That's true. Um, so she goes to the meeting place and realizes Joe is in fact... NY152, with tears just streaming down her face. Of course, the Meg Ryan face, the cute, mm-hmm. uh, the cute crying face. She turns and says, I was hoping it was you. <laughs> <laughs> Take a moment. And of course, we assume her Baxley and uh, Joe lived happily ever after. Her as a writer and him as a jerk uh, entrepreneur. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? Uh <laughs> So I, I couldn't resist adding this um, fun trivia note. Apparently, the website for this movie was up until 2018. I was able to find it on the Wayback Machine, I think. Um, and it was widely lampooned for its overly 90s web design, like Space Jam website, You've Got Mail kind of level. Yep, yep, yep. Um, you could, like, download 
desktop backgrounds and they had instructions on how to put them in place. <laughs> there were chat rooms to talk about how much you love the movie. Um, <laughs> there was ASCII art. Like, I don't know if anybody remembers that, but I do, where you like would make the art out of key. <laughs> 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 oh, it's making me laugh just thinking about it. Um, and also, the movie regularly shows up on worst product placements of all time list because of the AOL uh, product placement and so, I mean, especially in the very beginning where you do go through not only the like, ee, but yeah. then like the whole connecting. And then the, and it's he's AOL got them. mail. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> and also Rudy Giuliani was in it. That was weird. And I mean, he was one, mentioned. Right. That, that was not, that was the part that didn't age well. <laughs> yeah. And her talking about not being a voter. But not All voting. of those things is like, wow, mm-hmm. that, that has not aged well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was weird. I was just like, what the, Rudy Giuliani? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so those are the the plots of both of these these movies. So let's talk about, let's talk about them a little bit. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. back. Thank you, sponsor. Oh, yeah. So, obviously, before we go any further, we have to talk a little bit about Nora Ephron and her and her ideas and thoughts on her movie making, her scripts, and why these were important stories. And, you know, there was a lot of back and forth, and I didn't get too into it, because there's a whole 1993 article after Sleepless in Seattle uh, from a writer from LA Times who talked about this in such a way about how this was a slap in the face for men who were supporting feminists as well as feminism in itself and how this was not empowering. And he talked about how, you know, in the wake of Thelma and Louise, which was kind of around that same time, this Mm -hmm. was a complete affront to feminism. (laughs) Like, he was angry. Like, it was, Uh like, I get what he's saying in the sense of, like, this level of romance and finding a man and all of that could be seen as, like, a backward step. Mm -hmm. Um, Could be. But, like, he was angry about it. He was bitter and angry. So, if any of y'all want to see that (laughs) article, let me know, because it was almost hilarious how bitter he was. Uh, (laughs) But, all that to say, Nora did make a big, big impact in our movie world, especially rom-coms. Uh, and actually, she came from a whole line of writers, her whole family. Her parents were script writers. Her sister helped her with You've Got Mail. They co-wrote that together. And uh, they wrote books based on each other as well as their own lives. So it was really interesting to see, obviously, they were always going to be writers. As in fact, her sons are writers today. Mm-hmm. So it was a whole thing. Um, and she was a journalist at first, just an FYI. As in fact, after Nora's divorce from the famed reporter Carl Bernstein, who was the reporter, the main reporter for Watergate, so he was pretty well known at this yeah. point, uh, she wrote a book based on the disaster of their marriage, uh, Heartburn, which was made into a movie starring Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. And by the way, Meryl Streep was also in several other Efron films, including Julie and Julia, which was one of uh, Efron films as well. This is like my nightmare of somebody writes a book about how terrible I am in a relationship or something. I guess there's some part of that would be gratifying as long as you weren't like an outright horrible person. But like if you just, he didn't do the dishes on time and it was like too much. Apparently there was a whole thing in that she was allowed to write about it, but she had to, uh, according to their divorce agreement, she had to give 
custodial rights, more custodial, not all of it, but like share custodial rights, as well as write him as at least a good father. Oh, wow. Can you imagine having a, like, have to think about that one in a divorce agreement and then... Wow. Right? It's a different world Mm -hmm. that we don't live in. Uh, But yeah, she did, Efron did switch to be a screenwriter like her parents because it was easier and more flexible for a single mother. And though her movies have been criticized for their lightheartedness and according to... This one uh, writer, are we talking about? This one writer about (laughs) Sleepless in Seattle. I I like to think that that he's known for not liking Sleepless in Seattle. Like, it's one of the, like, fun facts people would list about him. It was at the top search when I just put in Sleepless in Seattle reviews. This popped up real quick. I was like, well, okay. (laughs) Well, he said, quote, the movie isn't about empowerment. It's about contrived coincidences that culminate in a hokey love fest at the end. Uh, But as another article writes about her intentions for the films, Nora was saying that we have already seen a lot of movies from the perspective of the man. This one is the woman's story. Indeed, it is the ability to control the point of view that was most important to Nora as a writer and director. Right. And again, she wrote a lot of things that were very personal to her and about her. And when asked why, she stated, because if I tell the story, I can control the version. Because if I tell the story, I can make you laugh. And I would rather have you laugh at me than feel sorry for me. Because if I tell the story, it doesn't hurt as much. Because if I tell the story, I can get on with it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Control the narrative. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and though some have questioned the simplicity and whimsy of all these uh, movies, we do see the perspective from a woman who goes after what she wants, uh, no matter what. And yes, it usually ends with everything joyful and neatly put together. But there's not anything wrong with that necessarily. Like, I mean, pe- you want those escapist movies. You want those fun where people do get there happily ever after, even if it doesn't make much sense. (laughs) Right. I mean, Roger Ebert actually talked about it in his critique when he talks about being able to not think and just enjoy what's happening. And and I've talked about my babysit your brain movies. This is exactly one of those things. It's like, of course, I get a little ants. I get a little anxious, like how embarrassing and like the secondhand embarrassment of things. Mm -hmm. But it is like, oh, it's all wrapped up, which maybe again why I love these holiday romantic movies because I need that because I hate the holidays so much. I need to be able to shut it off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Something else I want to talk about in terms of You've Got Mail specifically, because we have touched on sort of the creepiness factor of Annie and Sleepless in Seattle, and especially if you switched the the genders on that, that would be a different movie. Right. Um, So I wanted to talk about this whole charming or douchebag thing, which I do think comes up in a lot of romantic movies, but especially in like maybe this period in the 80s, um, which is, yeah, Joe Fox lies to Kathleen a lot. Uh, like their whole relationship for most of this movie is based on lies that he knows and she doesn't. Um, he makes fun of her Pride and Prejudice meetup theme that he was in on and he read the book because Shop Girl said it was her favorite. Um when he realizes who she is, uh, he keeps that information from her. Um, and he, at the very least, knows after this like failed meeting between Joe, Joe I'm giving it away, um, <laughs> in Y152, um, and Shop Girl, like at the very least, she's going to go home and feel like she got stood up. 
Right. And, you know, I do enjoy how they try to come up with, is it, was he murdered or was he right. a murderer? Did he get in an accident? And all those things right. that you do after you get stood up. Well, he does um, his own little rational, like, I was in a big meeting. I was in a rut. Yeah, I, You know, exactly. like, he does his own rational thing. And by the way, the reason Pride and Prejudice is so significant is Joe Fox would be the Darcy of the story, mm. who is a big pompous jerk that she doesn't like at first, but then comes oh, to like him. Oh, I see. Big see? pompous rich jerk. You're helping me with all the references. I got you. Um, and this is so common in hetero relationships that we see, at least in media, like a dude treats a lady like trash and she she loves him for it or she loves him anyway or she makes him a better person. Like that came up a lot of like, right. I don't want to be this jerk. I need someone to make me better. I'm like, you could be better. Oh, that's a thing you could work on. <laughs> um, Surprise. <awesome. laughs> Kind of put her out of business. Let's not forget right. that. Uh, the not store even she, out of business. Her family's pride her, and joy. Exactly. Like this beloved jewel in this neighborhood that even like, I can't remember that who that guy was specifically, but who was a part of Fox Books. And he was like, oh, yes, Cecilia's bookshop. She was wonderful. That's his, great um, grandfa- that's his grandfather. Okay. Yeah, I knew they were related. Yeah, that's his grandfather. Um. And yeah, she intended to pass that store on to her daughter if she had one. And he, he he does frame it as he can't help being a jerk. And like even times where I guess I'm supposed to be like, oh, look, he's helping her. Like at the grocery store line, he was being a jerk to everybody else and mm-hmm. to her. Like, um, and he's, yeah, he's he like with the caviar and she says, that's a garnish. Like he's just <laughs> this rich and privileged guy. He needs Kathleen to make him better, in quotes. Um, and certainly throughout, Kathleen gets the worst end of this deal. Uh, but she's supposed to be grateful for the mani- manipulation. Right. And um, as we were saying, like this was the grandfather who was like, I knew Cecilia, yeah, all of these things. And mm-hmm. also interesting to see the generational differences and similarities of the Fox men, because you have the father who is a womanizer, obviously, who's all about the bottom line. His grandfather's mm-hmm. a little more sentimental. So, of course, yeah. Joe has to be the blend of both. Um, but their overall treatment of women is fairly despicable. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot about that plot line of like the really young yeah. uh, woman he's marrying uh, that uh, Joe Fox's dad is marrying. Yeah, and this was like the fourth wife and he had left every yeah. single one of them for the nanny and then in turn she leaves him for the nanny. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and the whole thing about like, you know, he's, that's his aunt and this is, you know, his brother. Yeah, like, like all the young things. children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nora once said about this, Quote, can you fall in love with a person who isn't the perfect person for you? Or as Delia, and I used to say, her sister, can you fall in love with a Republican? Which he kind of does come back up with uh, Frank, who truly talks about I can't be with someone who doesn't vote. Like, that's, right. that was his mm-hmm. rhetoric as well. Yeah. Um, and for both, you've got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle. You have two guys that just walk away with no issues. Uh, you have Walter, the ultimate nice guy, who gets jilted, and Frank, who is a bit pompous, yes, and decides he doesn't love Kathleen. Um, So there is that a pretty wide spectrum of love interest in these movies. That was one thing, watching them back-to-back, I noticed immediately, like, oh, wow. So they're kind of, like, in relationships, (laughs) but also, like, seeking other people. Right. (laughs) Okay. Um, Another uh, quick rundown of some other themes I noticed watching these back-to-back, that whole idea of happily ever after, of the one, that discussion of is there just this one person? Is it magic? It I guess like in Seattle, you have, like, he had this magical relationship with his wife and she died. Is there another the one? Right. Um, then there was that whole discussion of women over 40 can't get married and sleepless in Seattle, like it's yeah. a death sentence right. or something. Right, right. 
Um, the conversation of splitting the check. So Sleepless in Seattle was at a weird time, I guess, where, like, at the time, new wave feminism... It was. ...meant, meant that, like, Tom Hanks is like, what is it like dating out there? And the dude he's talking to is like, you don't have to split the check. <laughs> like, right. I mean, he even uh, talks about the 90s being like, I'm going to get laid. I'm going to be one of the few people who's going to get laid. I'm going to be the one. And yeah, and then the conversation about it's more likelihood that you're going to get hit by a car <laughs> than get remarried yeah. after the age of 40. It's kind of like, yeah. huh? What? And it, what? She was in her maybe late 20s, early 30s at yeah. best. At, you know, I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of talk about settling. Right. Um, because, again, they weren't in these relationships when these movies start, and they, they stay in them for most of the movie, um, or at least Meg Ryan does in Sleepless in Seattle. Um, and they, there's just a lot of discussion about settling, and, you know, Walter in Sleepless in Seattle being like, right. I don't want to be someone somebody settles for. Right. Which is, yeah, pretty nice way for that relationship to have ended on Valentine's Day with... A nice ring and some Dom Perignon, but you don't, you know, you don't owe anybody anything. I will say that. Um, And then I did want to put in here about the dog because it came up a lot and I thought it was funny that uh, people kept saying like, well, the dog humanizes him and and you've got male Joe Fox. Yeah. uh, And he kind of uses the dog as, uh, you know, dating type material, which we've discussed is still pretty common, you know? Oh, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. When I saw pictures of dogs on the online dating things, I stopped immediately and looked through to just to double check whether or not. Like, he got a second glance. The dog gets the yeah. second glance. Yeah, the, the dog gets you a second glance. Just saying. I love it. Oh, um, and since we are in the holiday season, I did want to end on a note of capitalism. Of course. Um, because... And I found more than one article about this, so it's not just me reading way too deeply into this. Watching You've Got Mail felt like... If the music had been different and not so, like, cheery, it was a very sad tale about capitalism destroying everything. (laughs) Right. It really, I mean, it really was because people talk about the sentiment of being in a very small shop, especially, you know, dated in New York because Mm -hmm. they wanted to be that. But then you also, yeah, look at, you know, Borders at that time was coming out and Barnes & Noble and and killing all of the small stores. And we've Mm -hmm. seen that. We have. But... Yes, but these days, Joe Fox's store, the equivalent of like Borders or Barnes & Noble, yeah, would be going under thanks to Amazon, (laughs) thanks to the internet, the very thing that brought him his love. Right. Um, Everything you love will destroy you. But I did read an article recently how, you know, during our time of pandemic, independent bookstores in some cases have been making a bit of a comeback. So, yeah. It's kind of like a boutique niche to thing. Wouldn't that be... A great sequel to You've Got Mail, Joe Fox is out of business. and yeah. uh, she comes back. <laughs> she comes back. Oh, Because she's a famous author now and she can buy it back. But yeah, you know, like in, thinking about re- remaking, uh, Sleepless in mm-hmm. Seattle actually has been remade into a musical, which the co-author, uh, Jeff Archer, who... The co-writer, Jeff Archer, who helped write uh, Sleepless in Seattle, actually, mm-hmm. and he'd been thinking about it. I don't know if there is, but supposedly there's a book Oh. I think I'm Sleepless in Seattle. That was written in 1992. So I don't know. Like, he's been thinking about this. Apparently he was, and, and that became a big movie. But he has helped co-author the musical, and it was supposed to come mm-hmm. out this year. So I can't imagine uh, the changes that happened for yeah. this one. <laughs> I'm uh, very curious. Yeah, but of course it had to be postponed because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But it is coming out, I think, still. So we'll have to see the yeah. changes in that as well. Very, very interested. Um and I will say, when I was reading interviews with 
uh, Nora Ephron about You've Got Mail. Um, she had a very interesting perspective where a lot of people on the set were like, you know, this is so tragic. The internet is coming in and it's ruining everything or like box books equivalent is coming in ruining everything. And she was kind of just like, that's how it is. We've got to adapt. <laughs> uh, like, okay. I mean, okay. Um, also, there was a very telling interview with the person in charge of wardrobe where he was like, we wanted to make sure people didn't think she was a, one of those women who didn't shave her armpits. Which I was like, yeah. hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you can be strong without being too feminist, right? Yeah, we don't want you to be one of those feminists. Right. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yes. So... I mean, you know, these aren't my type of movies, but I did I did enjoy them. I really did. They give you a good uh, chuckle. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I watched Harry Met Sally when Harry Met Sally to watch for Carrie Fisher primarily. But, uh, right. you know, I enjoyed it too. Um, so uh, we hope that if, if we gave you a reason to rewatch these or watch them for the first time, that you enjoy them as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and please let us uh, know your thoughts about them. Please. Oh, oh, the technology and you've got me all alone is worth it. Um, and and what should we do for our next movie? Entering 2021, our first ah. movie of the new year. Please send suggestions to our email, which is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Oh, thanks. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 